Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome to another edition of the program. Today, inshallah, we're looking at the topic of excellence. But we're focusing and zooming in on something specific to excellence. The idea of excellence in education is thrown about so frequently, especially by a politician, that it's become a meaningless abstraction for some. But the principle, the concept of ihsan is powerful. And the definition of ihsan as explained by Nabi Muhammad wasallam, is so clear and applicable. The Quran Kareem tells us over and over again, it reminds us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us so that he may see which of us is most excellent in our deeds. And we recite this ayah every evening in our recitation of Surah Al-Mulk, the second ayah. And the purpose of Ihsan, as we've learned in previous programs, is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately. And the reward of excellence can be found both in this dunya and especially in the akhirah. Today we're going to learn more about academic excellence. There are measures of success in schools, there are standardized test scores, there are grade point averages, all of that. And they, but they cannot determine excellence in education. They may be tools, but we want to explore what it means to have or, or experience or have or witness or yeah, live with academic excellence from the Islamic viewpoint. What does that mean? And our guest today to take us through this topic is Maulana Ubaid Laboja. Maulana serves at the Jamiat al-Ulama offices in Shwani and Maulana will be taking us through the topic of academic excellence insha'Allah. Maulana, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Radio Islam. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa assalamu alaikum to our listeners of Radio Islam International, Abba. Jazakumullah khair for Maulana's uh, time today for taking us through this very informative uh, topic. When we previously had Maulana on the program, we had a number of listeners requesting that Maulana return to the program, uh, finding your perspective so refreshing. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, if, if we may begin perhaps with the first question, and this is when we hear the concept of academic excellence, what is the need for this? And, you know, we're coming at this all from the Islamic understanding. What is the need for us as Muslim and striving women to have academic excellence? So, respected listeners, if we take a cursory glance at Islamic history, we would find that as Muslims, there was always academic excellence and a quest for perfection in everything that Muslims have done. If you look at architecture, in the entire world, the Masajid of Turkey, the Blue Mosque, the Sultan Ahmed, the, places, the palaces of Granada, the Taj Mahal, the places like Qutb Minar, we find that Muslim presence is so visible by the academic achievement in architecture that it is something that doesn't even need to be said. That is how Muslims have been acknowledged. If you look at Muslims in their achievements, if a person just looks at a simple thing like medicine and the contribution that Muslims had done in medicine, for an example, Ibn Sina, a, a Hafid, a physician and a mathemat mathematician at the age of 15, 
was a qualified doctor. He wrote 450 treaties, 240 which have been printed. So Muslims by their nature always excelled academically. And that made them leaders in the world. You can't have a Khilafah, whether it be in Spain, whether it be in Turkey, or whether it be in the Khulafai Rashidin time, where you don't have academic excellence that's leading Muslim leadership. Muslim leadership always led by academic excellence. I want to give you an example from the time of Sahaba. Zayd radiallahu ta'ala was a young Sahabi. At the age of 11, he comes in the company of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, memorizing 17 surahs at that time from scattered resources. Nabi salam takes him in, he becomes, Nabi salam mentors him. Nabi salam tells him that, oh Zayd, we are conversing in different languages and I am dependent on the translators of the other religions to translate and to scribe for me, which I'm not happy with. Would you be so kind and learn the Hebrew language? In 15 days, Zayd radiallahu anh, learned an, an entire language. Sometimes we spend the entire 12 years in school, we write an Afrikaans paper, but we can't speak the language. Hear the Nabi of Allah, Sahabi Zayd radiallahu anh, in 15 days, masters a foreign language. And then Nabi salam said, oh Zayd, we need to learn an extra language as well. In 17 days, he learns it. That means in 32 days, Zayd radiallahu anh, learned two languages where he was able to communicate with the leadership of the other party. Imagine what excellence Muslims had academically that they were able to strive to achieve that. And that academic excellence throughout history is what made Muslims leaders of the world that the Khilafah ran for centuries and people acknowledged the service of Muslims. Maulana, uh, in your experience in the fields of education, leadership, in um, leadership in our communities, uh, and, and, you know, always having that connection with the community and being so aware of what's happening, what is our current, honestly, what is our current situation as we speak at this moment in terms of academic excellence as communities, but as a collective ummah on a broader scale as well? Where are we sitting right now? So, so if we look currently, I don't even think mediocrity describes us. Perhaps we even below that. If we look at our discussions, our answers are shallow, our arguments are childish, we lack depth in our discussion, our arguments are based on conspiracy theories, satire websites and articles guide our references, TikTok, Facebook video, the very format of which we are supposed to be challenging. We're using content from it to discredit it. Our discussions evolve a lot on emotion, very much on thought and theory. And this is by and large the general discussion. If we look at our WhatsApp discussions, it's no different. If we look at family discussions, it's emotional. It lacks reading. It lacks any sort of research on the topic. We, we hear one thing and that becomes the basis of our argument against academics in that field. So we're far from where we ought to be 
And a rude awakening is necessary for us to rekindle our inner conscience. And the need for Muslim leadership and influence is something that is solely a major need of the current time that we find ourselves in. Okay. If Mulana could help us get a foundation, what does the Quran Karim tell us about education? Uh, what, what's the, what, what can we turn towards within the Quran to motivate us to strive for this academic excellence, please? So what is so unique, Appa, and something that we sometimes oblivious about, when we speak of injunctions of Quran, we speak a lot on salah, on zakah, on character, on hajj, and, and rightfully so because Quran is replete with those commands. What we don't speak about is the first command that was given to Muslims, and that is iqra, read. That command we don't have. And the first ayat that were revealed on the noble master Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam were the ayat of education. In Surah Iqra, Allah speaks four times of ta'aleem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Iqra, read, Bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq. Iqra, again Allah says, read, wa rabbuka al-akrab. الذي علم again Allah speaks of ta'aleem علم الإنسان again Allah speaks of ta'aleem and education the first revelation of Quran speaks on education on four different times just to ensure the importance of this ummah to understand the need for education of course the education of Quran and Hadith supersedes all other education we shouldn't be oblivious of that. And that education that we ought to be doing, reading of Quran, reading of Hadith, reading of Islamic literature, that is something we need to start at to be able to progress as a Muslim community within our own fraternity, within our own groupings, and obviously beyond that, within the global context that we find ourselves in. Inshallah. Uh, Molana, you've given us some great examples uh, from from Islamic history. Is there anything more, anything specific Molana wants to share about our lessons from Islamic history from which we can draw inspiration, but also solution-oriented focus going forward with academic excellence? So, Appa, I, I want to just zone in on a few particular individuals. One is that of Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah. We speak so highly of him, and rightfully so, given the fact that he is, he authored the most authentic book after the Quran al-Kareem, the Sahih al-Bukhari. But it is said that Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, had more than 1,000 teachers. So if somebody is drinking from the well of knowledge, from 1,000 different sources of water from that well, what must be the quality of that individual if he has got 1,000 teachers that taught him? And when they went and they had seen the amount of people that had narrated hadith from him, it numbers more than 80,000 scholars that had taken hadith from Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah. So when your sources are so comprehensive, diverse, and correct, then you produce the likes of Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah. 
we have one particular organization or institute and we're so content with only that we fail to realize that there is so much of knowledge from scholars individual organizations who are on the correct train of thought yet we're not drinking from those fountains of knowledge where we ought to another example uh, ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah and his student ibn qayyim rahimahullah was once asked regarding uh, they, they both make mention of an incident of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahimahullah. So someone asked Imam Ahmad that if a person has studied and he knows 100,000 ahadith by memory, can such a person issue an Islamic verdict? He replied in the negative, no they can't. He said okay, but if he knows 200,000 ahadith by memory, can he issue a verdict? He said no he can't. He said okay, if he knows 300,000 he says he doesn't have what it takes to be able to issue an Islamic verdict. So they said, but if a person knows 400,000 ahadith by memory, would such a person be regarded as someone who can issue an Islamic verdict? Then Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahimahullah said, perhaps then he may be able to do so. So that, that is where the scholars had benched themselves. Mawlana uh, Abul Kalam Azad, rahimahullah, he was the first minister of, of education in India when they had got their independence from the colonial England, you know. And when they had got their independence, he was the first minister. So when he had passed away, he had opted that his library be donated to a particular institute. So the institute of choice was then an institute called Nadwatul Ulama which was an institute that was based in Lucknow. So when the librarian had got the books and he started indexing the books so that they may be able to put it in the shelves, he realized that the bookshelf of the Minister of Education numbered 10,000 books. And when he opened it to index it and to stamp it, on it was the date where the book was completed by the Minister of Education. So he had 10,000 books in his library of which he read all 10,000. Then that can be the Minister of Education because his knowledge is so vast, he sits on a foundation of 10,000 books. That is how much Islamic excellence is desirable of Muslims in today's time. Another example, currently one of the most senior and elderly scholars of our time would be Mufti Taqi Uthmani. So Mufti Sahib, at the age of 15 years, authored his first fatwa. His father had told him that, look, you need to research this, and I needed an answer. So at the age of 15, he wrote his first Islamic ruling. At the age of 16, he wrote a biography of one of the scholars that needed to go in the beginning of a book. And at the age of 17, he wrote his first book on birth control. Now what knowledge would a 17-year-old need from an Islamic perspective and a medical perspective to author a book on the Islamic perspective on birth control? So it was not like, you know, unfortunately sometimes uh, some of the youngsters, and no, not all of them, if they see that they've passed, for them it's an achievement. That, hey, I got no rings, I done exceptionally well. But there has never been the bar in, in, in Islamic education. 
excellence has always been the objective. And if we strive for excellence, wallah, we can be leaders of thought, leaders of, of technology, and we can do so much as a community, but the basis is our education, the diversity of its sources, and the depth of what we learn has got to be optimal. And those examples were so inspiring and something we can relate to. Where do we go from here? We have many parents, educators, um, community members sitting on education boards listening. Where do we go from here? Is it about pushing ourselves? How do we get our students to strive? What's the first or the next step for us? So there's two things that I want to say. The one thing is that we have to adopt the motto as Muslims of knowledge personified. That what we learn, we have to practice on. I don't think there's a shortage of lectures. The Islamic radio stations continuously strive to educate. So whatever we currently have, we have to personify that knowledge. We have to internalize it. If we have a lecture or a program on the radio on truthfulness, that must be part and parcel of our life. If we have done something on being trustworthy, that must fall part and parcel of our life. Whatever knowledge we've already gained, we've got to put that into practice. That is the first step. The second step with regards to educators, the learners, the teachers, uh, the system, there's four particular fields of reading that I want to suggest today as a start. And that is not because the others we are exempting them from, but just as a start. Number one, the Quran and Kareem was good understanding. So there's two separate aspects. One is abundant recital of Quran and Kareem. This is core for our success. Whenever any individual has succeeded in history, there has been two qualities of theirs. One is they were people of Quran. And the other is they were people of the Hajjud. These were two qualities of all successful Muslim leaders. So if we imbibe in us abundant tilawat of Quran, and then with that you couple it with good understanding. If we have understanding of Quran, we will be able to understand what is currently happening, modern day society, challenges, all answers are found in Quran. If Quran is an everlasting miracle, then we have to acknowledge that in Quran lies the solutions to where we are challenged. So if we can find the solutions in Quran, by far that would be excellent. The second thing that we need to be doing is the seerah and the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam with an in-depth study. In-depth meaning what had transpired, what were the conditions, what were the solutions, what were the challenges, and then take those examples and bring it down to our life and say, look, that had happened in the time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. These were the solutions. This is how it was adopted. This is how we find it. And in this, there are perhaps two books that we can start off with. One is the Siratul Mustafa. Marana Idris has authored it, an excellent read. The long one is in three volumes, the abridged one is in one volume. It is available as a PDF as well as a book format. Take it and read it well. Understand what your Nabi went through. If you will go through it, you will find solutions 
to your personal, public, private, communal life, all in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the second is the life of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, authored by Mabul Hassan Ali and Nadwi. Both of these can start the basics of a person wanting to study the seerah. The third that I would suggest is biographies of past Muslim leaders. I think thus we don't have at all in our vocab. It doesn't feature in our literature reading. People like Salahuddin Ayyubi, Tariq ibn Ziyad, Mahmoud Ghaznawi, Aurangzeb Alangir, Sultan Tipu, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. The list is so long that if you just take each one and you study them, if you want to become a leader, you have to study the book of leaders. If you want leadership qualities, you have to adopt it from those that were leaders. And to bring that, you have to keep yourself abreast with the life of leaders of Muslim world, both in terms of warfare, in terms of leadership, in terms of knowledge. All of those are truly a means of guidance for us when we read biographies of those that had gone before us. A simple example, biography of the like of Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahullah. His is textbook material of how Muslims can achieve ascendancy. We have to read it. And the last thing is, we have to dive into the books of hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And for this, I would like to just give two. Not that the others are not important, but to start yourself off. One is the Riyadh al-Salihin of Imam Nawawi rahimahullah, and one is the Adab al-Mufrad of Imam Bukhari rahimahullah. These two books can give you the initial and the stepping stone into the field of hadith, but study it under some scholar, your local imam, some person that can guide you so that you don't take a lesson that is not meant from the books of hadith. And if we can start academically excelling, we can change the narrative that we currently find ourselves in. And that is an important aspect. So true. Anna's given us some great references here for us to turn towards for reading, for further learning and discussion, inshallah. Uh, Marana, many of our students, um, and at the time that this program will air, is still the first quarter of a new academic year, many of our students resign themselves to mediocrity. And you mentioned this term earlier on as well. And that's when they, they cannot successfully navigate through their studies. And uh, this is something that's been spoken about for decades. How can we overcome this? How does one find motivation to persevere through their studies? So I don't think it's ever late for any individual to want to be able to achieve and, and be motivated. The first thing is that motivation has got to come from within you. We have to realize that as Muslims and as believers, we have never been created to earn a salary. That is the of excess excelling but we have been created to be leaders and to be people who are flag bearers of the Muslims in the world and for us to realize that the first thing we need to do 
is we need to get our basics right. From, from very small as parents, we need to perhaps, just even if it is reading a small book, and there are so much of Islamic literature with lessons to the small children as they are growing up, so that they may be able to keep abreast with vocab, with mindset and thoughts from that age. The second is those of us that are in school. Realize that for you to be in school in our current country in South Africa is a great blessing from Allah. To be in madrasa is a great blessing. Don't ever be oblivious of that. Uh, the, the great poet, Iqbal, he had made mention and he said, look, I implore you that these madrasas and these institutes of learning, as, as small as you might see them, keep it going as long as possible as you can. Because I've seen the masjids and the palaces and the universities of Spain. They are deprived of Muslim presence, yet Muslims had a leadership and a khilafah for 600 years in Spain. So for us, where do we start? We start at the basics, making sure that our Quran recitation is correct, making sure that that which we learn in our day-to-day -day life, we excel to such an extent that we can start not only excelling in what we know, but challenging the narratives as we grow along. And in essence, we as people of education, those that are involved in school, in madrasa, in, in, in the different fields, to make sure that you can do the best that you possibly can from your side. And be rest assured, Allah out of his wisdom and his kindness will amplify your success in the entire world. Who would think a person like Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, who was orphaned, his father had passed away before he was born. His mother had financial challenges in bringing Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, up. Yet, he turned out to be one of the greatest academic successes in Muslim history. Circumstances should never dictate how much you achieve. Only your effort your sacrifice will determine what you can achieve. And the last point is that don't ever be neglectful of spiritual importance. Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, in his magnum ompas, the Sahih al-Bukhari, he had quoted more than 7,000 ahadith. And in each one of them, he had read, made wudu and read two rakats of salah before each hadith. That means he made more than 14,000 rakats of salah for his book to be completed. The least you and I can do is every day before school, read two rakats of salah and beg Allah to guide you. And be rest assured, if every day you're begging Allah for guidance, Allah will not let you go astray. Gee, definitely. Wonderful, wonderful advice for our youth, for all of us who are studying, no matter our age, to continue seeking the help of Allah. Maulana mentioned two important points. Remember, if the qualities of successful leaders is the abundant recitation of Quran Kareem and the performance of the Hajjud Salah. May these be regular um, routines and habits of ours on a daily basis. Maulana, every week we ask our guests for a nasiha. You've given us plenty to think about, reflect upon, and most importantly, to take action through. Is there any other advice Maulana wishes to give students, educators, parents, or the community in general today? 
I, I think that there's, there's a lot that has been said and a lot more that can be said. I think one, one aspect that I want to just tell the listeners is that Islamic history of 1,400 years has got a wealth of lesson that we can learn from. And this is a subject where many of us have not excelled or don't have a basis of knowing what happened in Islamic history. And the one advice that I want to give you is make Islamic history a part of your daily routine. Reading the books of what it transpired, reading the books of the Crusaders and how they impacted Masjid al-Aqsa, reading how Masjid al-Aqsa was liberated. That alone is a whole genre of reading regarding Masjid al-Aqsa. And then again, there is reading of how Muslims of Turks original and the Seljuks had achieved so much. That is something. It's so sad that a drama series creates so much of awakening in the Muslims, but reading can't do the same. So that which has been documented in some of the drama series coming out of Turkey has created an awakening. Well, it's a good thing that the awakening is there. Now enlighten yourself of what did they achieve? How much of sec- how much of service had they done to Haramain Sharifain, the Ottoman Empire in its 600 odd years of leadership, how they had looked after Makkah, Mukarramah and Medina, Munawwara, how they had linked Turkey to Makkah via the railroad. There is so much of things that we could learn from history that could give us encouragement and enthusiasm to be able to want to do so much more as an ummah. We should not be oblivious of those achievements. Inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are mindful. Ameen. Maulana, jazakumullah khairan for your time today, for taking us through this otherwise complex topic on academic excellence, for giving us examples that are so practical, realistic, for inspiring us, for reminding us that we need to individually and collectively really wake up, stand up and begin you know, reliving and, and that legacy that has been left for us uh, in the past and to uh, work towards earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jazakumullah khair for those book recommendations, those reading recommendations. All of this can be so helpful to us on an individual level, but also as a community or in our madrasas and schools. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you afiyah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to use Mawlana for the service of the deen. And uh, may we, inshallah, have the opportunity to learn from you in future programs as well, Mawlana. Jazakumullah khair. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum we have spoken to Mulana Ubaidullah Boja, serving at the Jamaican Ulama offices in Shwani on the topic of academic excellence. We go for an ad break and when we return, we continue with our topic of niya or intention in our preparation for Ramadan. Please stay with us. Ah, the kitchen, the heart of the home, where memories are made and celebrated. Our go-to place for those freshly stacked pancakes early in the morning or for the late night snack munchies. We are in there together, cooking, eating and celebrating life together. Let's keep the kitchen a place that is shared by everyone, where we build stronger bonds and grow together. Sunfoil, now we cooking. Visit nowwecooking.co.za for recipes that everyone can help make. Is your Nissan due for a service? 
At MotorDeal Nissan Johannesburg, our highly trained Nissan specialists are ready to perform the best maintenance requirements for your vehicle in the most reliable and economical way. Call now to book your Nissan 011-835-3535. Al-Tahid Islamic Center appeals to you to donate generously to its various projects, namely GDE-affiliated schools, computer classes, nurseries, masajid, madrasas, and dawah programs for underprivileged communities. We accept zakat, lila, sadaqa, and all other donations. Please note, we issue Section 18A certificates. Visit us at 31 Protea Avenue, Extension 5, Lanasia. Call Al-Tahid Islamic Center on 011-211-6009. Sedgas, situated in Vereniging, your one-stop family shop. Get up to 35% of youthful, casual, and kiddies branded clothing for the lovers of functional art. Try our Carol Boys range. Look at our exquisite furniture and linen department. Tasteful furniture, decor, and advice to matching linen and curtains. Treat yourself to the beauty of designer jewelry, watches, sunglasses, and formal wear to suit your taste. Sedgers, your original family store, where personal service is guaranteed. Sunbeam Steel, suppliers of all steel products. For carports, gates, burglar-proofing, fencing, reinforcing steel mesh, and all your structural steel. We also stock roof sheeting in galvanized polycarbonate and fiberglass. For that fantastic rail deal, contact Sunbeam Steel. Situated at Main Clip River Road, Aikenoff. Call us on 011-948-6011 or 6013 or 011-948-7905. You are listening to Revival Emotions on Radio Islam International. Welcome back to the second segment of this hour. Before the break, we were listening and hearing from Maulana Ubaidullah Borja on the topic of academic excellence. We spoke about how important it is for academic excellence within our communities. Maulana updated us on the current situation of the Ummah regarding academic excellence. We got to learn what the Quran says about education itself. Maulana gave us examples from our Islamic history and address the topic of mediocrity and how we can successfully navigate beyond that and how to find motivation to persevere with our studies. This topic and this discussion was so important for us, whether you're a schoolgoer, whether you're a parent, educator, or back at studying yourself, it's something that we can all benefit from. The program will be up on podcast. So you can play back, listen back to it, and inshallah benefit tremendously. Molana gave a number of reading and study resources, book re- recommendations that you can learn from uh, on the seerah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and shared with us the qualities of successful leaders. He said all successful leaders of the past in our ummah had two qualities, two habits. The one was an abundant recitation of the Quran Kareem, and the second was the so may we also bring that into practice in our lives and inshallah reap the rewards and the fruits of that. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Nahl, the chapter on the bee, ayat 30 until 31, to the righteous when it is said, what is it that your Lord has revealed? They say, all that is good. To those who do good, 
there is good in this world, and the home of the hereafter is even better and excellent indeed is the home of the righteous, gardens of eternity which they will enter, beneath them flow rivers, they will have therein all that they wish, thus does Allah reward the righteous. SubhanAllah, beautiful ayah reminding us of the topic of goodness, of good deeds, of righteousness, and of Jannah. Now, as we draw closer to the month of Ramadan, we must ask ourselves what intention we have set for this month. The power of intention, of niyyah, is one thing that comes to mind. Some of us may earlier this, this, this year have prepared a list of resolutions to help us get ahead. And as much as we look forward to embarking on a new academic or work year, we may want to take a step back and revisit the intentions that drive us to achieve our goals. It is good practice to always identify the purpose of our goals rather than rushing to fulfill them so that we can reap the most benefit out of it. Intentions are the root of every action. They reflect the underlying motives of why we plan something or do what we do. We know the hadith that is often quoted, part of which reads as, Indeed, deeds are judged by intentions. Every man will be rewarded only for what he intended. So this underlines that intention is the ultimate foundation of our actions. The heart is where the intentions are formed. And so as the heart and mind are interconnected, what we intend will influence our thoughts and then our actions. In another hadith, Rasulullah mentioned, Verily, in the body is a piece of flesh which, if sound, the entire body is sound, and if corrupt, the entire body is corrupt. Truly, it is the heart. So this means that the connection between the heart and our intentions is closer than we think. Our limbs and likewise our intentions depend on the state of the heart. And so it's vital that we ensure our hearts are in a healthy state as we set our intentions for the upcoming Ramadan to avoid pursuing any actions or goals that may be harmful to us, to others, to our akhirah and dunya. One of the ways to keep our hearts directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to recite a dua that was practiced by Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The dua is, Allahumma musarrif al-qulub Sarif Kulubana ala ta'atik. O Allah, the controller of the hearts, direct our hearts to your obedience. And so we need to be using our intentions as anchors for our actions. When we are aware of our intentions, it helps us to be more objective. With intentions, we tend to be more conscious of the things that will help us achieve our goals and the things that might hinder them. Our intentions also help direct us on what needs to be done 
and how things should be done. And this then reflects our principles and values. For Muslims, being Allah conscious is one of the ways to ensure that our intentions are pure. When we are conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is natural that we only act upon that which pleases Allah. Now, when it comes to our niyyah, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and the scholars would carry out an action for which they would have many good intentions accompanying it. This was so in the hopes that they could be rewarded abundantly by a single action for every intention they made. It is due to this that Yahya ibn Abi Kathir said, learn about intention because it reaches further than the actions. In the book of intentions, the Habib al-Aydarus, he has listed a number of good intentions for different kinds of actions. He wrote in a way that each action was paired with multiple intentions. For example, if you plan to help people and fulfill their needs, you may have a number of intentions. First and always is to obey the commands of Allah and to do that which pleases Allah. Your intention may also be to follow the example and the sunnah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It may be so that Allah, allow, Allah will allow others to help you when you need that help and fulfill your needs. It may be to be humble and to bring joy and happiness to others. So, whenever you're setting your intention, make as many intentions as possible and always for the pleasure of Allah. There is an Arabic saying that goes, Ala qadri You will get what you intended. And this phrase beautifully mirrors the hadith of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For Muslims, any good deed done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, regardless of its quantity, will definitely be rewarded. To ensure that we gain rewards from our good deeds, it is important that we keep our intentions pure and sincere for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let us look deeper into our hearts and ask ourselves, what we truly want to achieve out of our New Year resolutions. Whether it's in the new academic year or the new work year, whether it's for the upcoming Ramadan or monthly goals or resolutions or weekly goals that you set. Are these goals built upon temporal pleasures like human recognition or monetary rewards? Or are they built upon sincere intentions that enable us to gain Allah's recognition, His love and mercy. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep our intentions pure and may Allah grant us guidance to act upon them. Insha'Allah. Ameen. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program. This program will be up on the podcast of radioislam.org.za website under the category Podcasts. And in the archives under my name, you would find this program up within 24 hours. If you have any topics or guest 
suggestions or recommendations of guests that we can interview or topics that we can cover in future programs, please drop us an email with those suggestions to hana at radioislamlive.com. Until we meet again next week at the same time, Jazakumallahu khairan for listening in and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa